Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. You got a copy of the Word. Open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. I'm going to start at verse 4 again today and read down through 8a and, and deal with a few more of these things uh, that we're talking about in this idea and this series entitled, How Is Your Love Life? Considering at the beginning of this year, how are you doing? How are you doing in this arena of, of love? Is the agape love of God, is that what's motivating you and, and driving you? Is that what's the underpinning of your heart and your life, your, your service to your fellow man and, and your service to your heavenly Father? Is it the agape love of God? Agape, I, I define it this way, it is the manifest love of God in the person particularly of the Lord Jesus Christ. He showed His love for us in the greatest way possible by sending His Son to give his life for us. Paul begins to talk about right here in 1 Corinthians in the context of, of spiritual giftedness. He begins to talk about the great need for love and, and what it is and what it means. We've looked at a few thoughts already. We looked at, first of all, the excellence of love. And there is no better way, Paul says, of doing it. Loving and serving God is the very best way to live your life. There is no better way. It is the more excellent way, the most excellent way, everything else pales in comparison to the way of love, and he tells us of its great excellence. Secondly, he mentions the essentiality of love. He says you can be absolutely perfect. Hear me now. You can be absolutely perfect in every other area. Theologically, you can be perfect. Biblically, you can be perfect. In worship, man, you can have her tuned up in spirit and in truth and just be perfect. You can have perfect faith even that you might move mountains. You can be perfectly committed to the point where you'd even give your very own body to be burned as a commitment sacrifice unto the Lord. And he says, without love driving and motivating you that adds up to absolutely nothing zero for you for the kingdom or for anybody around you if love is not motivating it you can forget it love is the one must have in our lives and our Christian experience today and we must consider always am I doing all am I doing this particular thing motivated by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is that's what's driving it. it's essential we opened up the thought of the essence of love last week. We began that thought. The essence means this. What does it look like? What does it smell like? What is at its core? What is the thing that defines love? We've looked at three elements of 16 that Paul makes statements for us here, telling us of the essence, the, the, the definition, if you will, of the love of God. And we can use these well to gauge our love life. They're contained right here in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, beginning at, at, at verse 4 and reading down through the first part of verse 8. And I want you to read it with me together right here. It says this, that charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity, charity vaunteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly love seeketh not her own love is not easily provoked love thinketh no evil love rejoiceth not in iniquity love rejoices in the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things and endures all things in verse 8 hey what a powerful statement love never fails what a statement i'm gonna give y'all a, a little test today a pop quiz 
I used to hate those words in school. Whenever the teacher would say, would you take out a clean sheet of paper? Man, my heart would drop through the floor because I was never, ever prepared for a pop quiz. Would you take out a, a clean sheet of paper? But don't fret today. I think you're going to do very well on the test. I'm going to make it a fill in the blank. And as I read it, I want you guys to fill in the blank. And you'll find that you're going to do, do very well. I, I picked some familiar things, familiar sayings from the realms of music and, and, and man, even movies. Some of these things... Uh, I don't think you're going to have trouble with these at all. So as I read and leave you a blank, uh, you fill it in. I picked one from the realm of music. A group called the Beatles once had a song entitled this. I want to hold your... Hey, y'all are doing good. Yeah. Some of you 60s people up in here, I guess. Here we go. How about this from the realm of advertisement? It takes a, it takes a licking and it keeps on... Ah, some of y'all gray-haired people remember that. What ad's that for? Timex. See, back in those days, we didn't even know Rolex existed in western North Carolina. But, beloved, we knew Timex did. It takes a licking, and it keeps on ticking. See, y'all are two for two. How about this old saying, practice makes... Yeah, y'all are good. I wish I could apply that to my life in a more deeper way than I do. How about this? You, can, you can't teach an old dog new what? tricks. See, y'all are even anticipating. You're not even letting me get to the blank. Y'all are so confident and doing good. I picked this from the, the realm of entertainment and the movies. One of my favorite movies and one of my, my, probably my favorite genre, the good, the bad, and the ugly. See, I fit in that ugly category. That's why I, I left that one blank. Now, here's one from a biblical perspective. I hope you do equally as well on it. God is, ah, a little mixed answer little different and you see we we get to that we can shout out the other things with great agreement but when you begin to consider who God is man it seems that anything you say falls short or somehow doesn't encompass the majesty and the glory and the honor of who he is it seems difficult to define him with one word to fill in a blank as we look to the Word, man, we see that there are at least four places that I see that we could fill that blank in with quotes from the Scripture. There may be more, and if there are, I, I would love to know them so that I could expand my repertoire. But over the, uh, the last 20 years, and incidentally, I didn't think about this till this week, but 20 years ago today, I came on staff at this church right here. What a thought, man. 20 years ago, here I am. I thought about that this week. How cool. So over those 20 years of study... In preparation, I found four things in the Word that I see fill this blank in by the Word itself. Hebrews 12, 29 says this. It says, man, we ought to do our best, and we ought to respond to the Lord. Verse 28 does, says, with great reverence and understanding, and we ought to, to give Him our best. Why? Because it says in verse 29 that our God is a consuming fire. That's the Word of God defining God. It says that our God is a consuming fire. You know how the Hebrews described it? They described it the Shekinah glory of God. And what they were saying is that God is so holy and so righteous and so glorious that anything substandard, anything sinful, anything outside of who He is could not exist for even an instant in His presence when it comes in. It's consumed by His glory and His holiness. And don't ever forget when you're defining God to overlook the truth that God is, beloved, a consuming fire. That's who He is. 
One of these days the Word tells us that that Shekinah glory is going to overcome everything that was ever evil on this earth. And it's going to burn it up so much like so much wheat and chaff. And the only things that are left are the things that will be tried by that fire. Praise be unto God. It's not by my righteousness, but it's by the righteousness of Jesus Christ that the glorious fire of God won't consume me. I'm glad to be trusting in His grace today. God is a consuming fire. That's what the Word says of our Heavenly Father. Secondly, He says this, John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus Himself, talking to the woman at the well, He said this, Now, you, you're worried about you worshiping in that church, or, or you're worried about worshiping in this church, or you're worried about who does it this way, or you're worried about who does it that way. And He said, of Himself, now listen, He said, let me tell you something, God is what? Spirit. God is spirit. And those that will worship him will worship him how? In spirit and in truth. You will never worship. You will never serve the God of this universe through your flesh. Our connection with him is through the Holy Spirit of the living God. And the way that we live and move and have our being and connect to him is through that spiritual connection that exists between he and I. He is nothing of the flesh. He is spirit. That's how he defines himself. Thirdly, we see in the book of 1 John, John writes a couple of things that we can garner in filling in this blank. 1 John 1.15 says this, God, 1.5, I apologize, says this, God is what? Light. And in him is what? No darkness at all. Almost echoing that Shekinah glory, that brightness that is his, that just natural light and emanation. That's just who he is. Darkness cannot exist in his presence, for he is light. That's part of, of who he is. John also goes on in, in chapter 4, verse 8 of that same book. He says this, He that loveth not knoweth not God. Don't tell me you know God and don't love. Listen, if you don't love, you don't even know God. Why? He says this very emphatically because God is what? Love. Praise be unto God. How many of y'all are glad today that God is love? I'm glad today that he has not chosen to deal with me according to his Shekinah glory, but he has chosen to deal with me according to his love. That was a choice that was altogether his. He could have done it any way he wanted to and been just right, but he chose to deal with me according to his love today. He is all those things, and I'm glad that God today is love. That's what part of him Paul is talking about right here. And when you begin to talk about the essence of love, you can't get far by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know what a definition, a walking, talking, living definition of the agape love of God is, it only occurred one time in all of history. And beloved, that's the only time she'll ever occur. And that's when the Word itself became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And everything He did was manifesting the agape love of God. It was His love manifest in flesh and bone right here before us. So when we read this text, I, I learned this some time ago, and man, it just impacts me to do it this way and to read it this way. When we read these things, we have to understand that Jesus is the perfect example, that he really is these things, not only an example of them, he is these things. So I believe we'd do well to go back and read it. And where we see charity or where we see love or where we see that pronoun, we should substitute in there the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to say Jesus. 
So I'm going to ask you, flip your Bibles back open. If you closed them, it's all right. You can look up on the screen if you want to. I may ask you to boldly. I mean, it's a bold move, I know. I'm going to ask you to boldly stand up where you are as we read this and make it as a declaration of our belief that these are the things that Jesus is. So let's read together this passage of Scripture, substituting the word Jesus, and I'll try to lead you to the best of my ability. It would read this way, Jesus suffereth long and is kind. Jesus envieth not. Jesus vaunteth not himself. He is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave himself unseemly. Jesus seeketh not his own. Jesus is not easily provoked. Jesus thinks no evil. Jesus rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. And let's say this together. Jesus never fails. Praise be unto God. You ought to give him some glory and honor and praise for that truth in this universe. If you want to know what love is, it's Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is if you have him in your heart and your life, these things ought to mark you. If he lives inside you, then, man, these things ought to come out of you as you go. Here's what you ought to look like. Here's what you ought to smell like. What does love look like? Well, it looks like Jesus Christ. What does love smell like? Well, it smells like Jesus Christ. What's the meaning and definition of love? Well, ultimately, it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is love, beloved. That is love. I'm going to let you be seated right where you are. Paul gives us 16 distinct statements that help us gauge how we're doing at displaying this love of Jesus Christ to one another and to the world. We've already looked at these three. He said love is patient. I'm glad he's long-suffering, praise be unto God. It says that love is kind. That means it's generous and good. It says love isn't envious. That means it doesn't take joy at the expense of others. But on the contrary, it wants the best for you. And I'm glad God has at his heart the best for me. The fourth thing I want to show you in this series of 16 is this. Paul says that love isn't boastful. He says that love isn't boastful. In the middle of verse 4, he says that charity or love vaunteth not itself that could be well translated here's what it means it, it isn't a show-off it isn't a braggart one writer put it this way and i love it he says that love is not a windbag love's not a windbag love isn't incessantly talking about itself love isn't incessantly trying to build itself up love isn't incessantly boasting about who it is and trying to promote itself I'll tell you what real agape love never really talks highly of itself. It's more concerned about talking highly of you. That's agape love. There are men in the, in the faith that, that mean a lot, not just to me, but to a whole lot of people. And man, we hold them in high regard and well we should. One such man in, in the history of the Baptist church particularly is a man named W.A. Criswell. How many of y'all ever heard of W.A. Criswell? Read anything he wrote? What a what a giant in Baptist life, and not in Baptist life alone, but in the work of the kingdom. The church he pastored there in Dallas, Texas, only had two pastors for over 100 years. Two pretty distinguished ones. One was Dr. George Truett, pastored it for a little more than 50 years. The other was Dr. W.A. Criswell, who took over after he left, pastored it for another 50 years. So over 100 years, two pastors. I don't think Trinity will make it that long because, man, my hair is just too gray. I'm just telling you, for, for us to have a, two pastors for 100 years. He was there. Uh, we were in the convention at Dallas, Texas one year. 
It was my dad, a good preacher friend of his named Andy Rains, and myself went down to see W.A.'s church while we were there. Man, it covered so many city blocks in the, in the middle of, of Dallas. It is unbelievable. Uh, we toured all through it. We had a, a, a little guy taking us around in there. I had no thought that we'd ever see him if he was there. We certainly wouldn't get in to see him. When we were finished, they, they put us out the back side of the church in a little alley and told us how to get back to where we were headed. And, man, when we turned to leave, guess who we ran into in the alley out there in the back of that church? W.A. Criswell himself. Well, Andy and Dad just went crazy. They started asking him all these questions, and they started trying to, to get him to tell all of the things that he knew. And, and, and I noted it was very interesting the way he responded to them. He was like, men, where are y'all from? Men, where do you pastor? Men, what's going on in your church? Men, what has God done for you? Men, what has God done through you? It would have been very easy for him to talk about where he'd been that year, for the messages he'd preached that year. It had been very easy for him to talk about the latest book that he'd written. It had been very easy for him to start talking about how many people he'd baptized under the leadership of the Lord that year. It had been very easy for him to give us the history of the last 45 years of his ministry in that back alley, but he never, ever talked about himself. All he would do is drive the conversation to men. You're blessed, men. God has used you. Men, I'm proud for you. Men, I'm excited about what God's doing in and through who you are. When he left, man, he made this statement. He said, boys, I'm going to tell you, God has blessed you greatly to be doing through you what he's doing. And man, I'm going to be praying for you as he continues to use you on this earth for his glory, honor, and praise. And he turned to walk away. A guy was waiting on him down the way with a little car. And Andy screamed out to him, well, God's blessed us. He said, man, God has surely blessed you. And he stopped and just turned back and looked. And he said these words, I'll never forget them. He said, and we thank him for it. We thank him for it. And he turned and kept walking. Man, that made an impact on me. Not a prideful person. He could have been prideful and rightfully so. Are you talking about a false humility, Pastor? No, I'm talking about a genuine love and a genuine concern for those around you that really doesn't care as much about you being bragged on as you care about them being talked about and about them being lifted up and about the things that's going good in their life being shared and talked about. Man, aren't you glad today that your Heavenly Father isn't boastful? Man, if anybody had a right to boast, it'd be God Himself. Yet I find in my prayer time when I come in into his presence and I begin to try to honor him in some way and I begin to try to thank him and I begin to try to give him glory and honor and praise and when I begin to try to talk about him I feel the love of God saying son what is it that you need son what is it that's going on in your life son let's talk about you just a little while and if anybody ought to boast it ought to be God himself but even when he interacts with us he sets himself aside and he's more worried about what's going on in your life then he is about the glory and the honor that he rightly deserves at every hand's table. Folks, we ought not be boastful. We ought not be this way. We ought not to try to vaunt ourselves. Most of us, I put it this way, have a, have a Toby Keith mentality when it comes to this. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about my. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. That's the way we think about it. We think about, I want to talk about me, beloved. That's who I want to talk about. But love doesn't act that way. Love never brags on itself. The Apostle Paul said this on one occasion, didn't he? He said, if I'm going to brag on anything, it's going to be the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's anything today to boast about, we ought to boast about Jesus 
and lift him high. Love isn't boastful. Secondly, he says this, love isn't prideful. He says charity isn't puffed up. It's not puffed up in the latter part of verse 4. Puffed up means this. It means overly inflated. It means uh, here a thought of the mind. Boastful and, and, and prideful are two uh, almost the same thing. They're just different in their manifestation. Boastful means I talk about myself all the time. Prideful is harder to overcome. It means I think highly of myself all the time. Boasting, maybe you can close your mouth. But it's a more challenging thing to, to arrest the thought processes of your mind and understand that how you're thinking about yourself might be a little bit puffed up or overly inflated. I, I'm telling you, love only doesn't talk about itself at all times. Love doesn't think too highly of itself. Y'all remember a, a boxer of some renown named Muhammad Ali? How many of y'all would remember Muhammad Ali? What was his favorite saying? What would he say all the time, all the interviews? He would say, I am the, the greatest. There's another fill-in-the-blank test. Yeah, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest of all time. That's why I'm the greatest, baby. That's who I am. I mean, he didn't suffer any self-esteem issues that I ever saw in his life, man. He was careful to tell everybody how good he was, and he thought that in his head. It wasn't just lip service. He thought he was the greatest of all time. I heard a story related about him that he was in an airplane on one occasion heading to one of his engagements and there he had his people taking care of him and, and they encountered some, some turbulence on this flight and the, the seatbelt light came on. Now there's turbulence and there's moderate turbulence and I'm a casual flyer. Anytime the pilot comes on and says moderate turbulence, you know what that means for me? Not only fasten your seatbelt, that means get in your prayer closet. That means you better start calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says moderate turbulence, beloved, something inside me don't set right, and I start praying unto the God of this universe, beloved. Muhammad Ali, no, he's very confident in who he is. And, and man, the light came on, the, the pilot came on and said, Folks, I need you to fasten your seatbelts till we get through this. And the little lady that was working there uh, in the plane went around and checked everybody. She came by Muhammad found out that his seatbelt was still undone. And she said to him this, she said, uh, Mr. Ali, the, pa uh, the, uh, the pilot of the plane wants everybody to, to fasten their seatbelts. There's some moderate turbulence coming up. He said to her these words. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. That's what he said to her. Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said this very quickly back to him. The story goes, Superman don't need no airplane either. The last time I checked. So don't get to thinking too highly of yourself, man. That's what Paul said. Love doesn't think higher of itself than it ought to. You say, oh, that's not me, Pastor. Let me tell you, that's you. If you're a human being in this house today, you think more highly of yourself than you ought. The enemy will make sure that the thoughts run across your mind something like this. Well, aren't those people fortunate? Isn't your family so fortunate? What would they do without you? I mean, aren't your friends just extremely blessed to have a friend that loves them like you do? I mean, those thoughts will run. The enemy will make sure. Isn't, he'll even go so far as to make you think, isn't God fortunate on some level to have a servant? Such as I. Paul's saying love does not think highly of itself. It does not. It is not puffed up. Not only does it not talk about itself overtly like that. Love doesn't think highly of itself. It isn't boastful. Neither is it prideful. Man, if you want to make this a reality in your life, I'm going to tell you one surefire way to do it. You get before the God of this universe in prayer. And you just contemplate who he is. 
And then you contemplate who you are. And that'll correct you in a hurry. It'll correct the way you think. It'll correct the way you speak when you understand that my very best, the Word says, is filthy rags before His righteousness and goodness. And it isn't by works of my righteousness that have been done that I relate to Him. But it is by His mercy and His mercy alone that I know Him. And when you keep yourself in that perspective, beloved, it becomes a little easier not to say things you oughtn't to say and not to think things you oughtn't to say. A, a wise man named John Riskin wrote this. He said, I believe the first test of a truly great man or woman is humility. He says, I don't mean a, a false humility or a doubt of one's own ability or, or a doubt of the giftedness of God or a hesitation to speak your opinion when it's needed. But really great men and women have this understanding that greatness is, listen to this, greatness is not in them, but it is that that's at work through them by the merciful hand of a good and mighty God. And you see, we need to adopt that attitude and understand. God's given you a gift, great. Understand it's His. And it's Him that's using it and working it through you. You teaching that class, Great. But understand that God's given you that gift to teach it and that opportunity, and it's really Him that's doing anything good through you. You preaching in that church? Great! But understand that you depend completely and totally upon the God of this universe for everything good that will ever come out or through you. And He gets all the glory, and He gets all the praise for everything that happens. The mark of a truly great man or woman, the first one, is humility. Love isn't boastful. Neither is love prideful. I got to hustle. Love neither. I put it this way. Love isn't improper. He says love doesn't behave itself unseemly. Love does not behave itself unseemly. You know what that word unseemly means? It means it's not disgraceful. It means it's not dishonorable. It means it's not indecent. It can even go so far to mean it's not crass or it's not rude. I, I put it this way. It's not inappropriate. Love is never acting in such a way that's inappropriate. Have you ever seen somebody act or have you ever act yourself and the thought of your mind was, wow, that wasn't very appropriate in that moment. Maybe I shouldn't have said that or maybe I shouldn't have done that in that moment. That wasn't appropriate. Well, mark it down. It wasn't love because love always acts appropriately. I thought of it this way. One writer put it this way, and I love it. It arrests my thought process. He put it this way. Love has manners. I like that. Isn't that a lost art in our society today is, is manners? Isn't it a lost art just to say yes, sir, and, and no, sir? Isn't it a lost art just to open the door for a lady? It's becoming a lost art even to hold your tongue in mixed company. It's becoming troublesome to be anywhere and somebody not flaunting their freedom and man unbridledly living on this earth. Well, let me tell you, love never acts that way. It always acts appropriately in every situation. My dear wife and some friends were, were shopping in the North Face place down there. They relayed this story to me. I wasn't with them. They were checking the prices on some, some jackets and things in there. And one particular rack of, of very nice jackets, my dear wife had the price tag. And the other ladies were guessing how much that jacket cost and then guessing what the sale price was. And they were really concerned to guess how high the original price was. Well, this particular jacket was, was very expensive, and they were guessing, guessing, guessing. And my wife said, she finally said, the price tag reads this on the original jacket, $499.99. How many of y'all know that's inappropriate? In and of itself, that's inappropriate, beloved. If anything ever has been, that's inappropriate. 
Man, she said some guy that was looking on the rack that had nothing to do with them turned and looked at her and said, Lady, you're a dang liar. And he didn't use the word dang. Now, is that appropriate? I mean, people think they can express anything any old way they want to. She said, we talked about it and thought about what, what if you were there. And I thought about that a little bit. And I said, if I were there, I, I might have just whipped his tail for the glory of God. I mean, oh, hey, I'm a, I might have done it for love's sake. But I, I might have taught him a lesson of the appropriateness of love. I told my wife that, and she said, no, you shouldn't have done that. He was pretty big. I mean, oh, that's what she said. I said, hey, glory to God. Thank you, baby, for watching after me. She didn't say that to me. I'm just kidding. She said, it, she said he was out of hand. And, man, I think about that. You think, why would you say that? Why? I mean, you don't know the people. You don't know anything about it, but that's the way people react. Let me tell you, love is never that way. It doesn't behave itself unseen. There's a certain sense of decorum in the kingdom of God, but I agree. And love governs it. And when we're acting in the love of God, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to say the right thing. Man, we're going to act well. We're going to act well. Love doesn't behave itself unseemly. It's never improper. Fourthly today, I want you to think about this. Love isn't selfish in the time that I have. Love isn't selfish. It says it seeketh not her own. She seeketh not her own. Love is never selfish. Love's always concerned about the interest of others and, and not its own self-interest. And love always acts in the best interest of others. I wrote it this way. Love puts its own desires on hold in the interest of others. Now, that's not the world today, and it never shall be. You know, my dear dad, he counseled me this week. We were talking a little bit. I was able to meet him for lunch one day. And he told me this. He said, son, don't you ever forget that the Bible was written for Christians and not the world. Don't forget that. He said, you're not going to take this and apply it to the behavior of the world in any way, in any time, any way, any shape, any form. You're not going to do it. He said, this is for us. It's written for people who know the Lord to help them understand how to behave. The world is going to be selfish. That's just who they are. A human being is going to be selfish. That's just how you're made, man. You're looking out for number one all the time. But the love of God is never selfish. When it's the love of God, it's never about you. And it's always about the interest of those around you. It's not about you getting your way. It's not about putting your desires first. It's not, hey, man, I've got to have this and I won't settle till I have it my way. The love of God is worried about you having it, having it your way. You don't think the world's selfish? Just go check your mail tomorrow. You know what you'll find in there? You'll find a whole bunch of credit card applications. And on the front of them, they'll say something like this. Absolutely no interest. That's what they'll say. And, man, they're trying to give you the idea that they just love you so much. And they think so highly of you that they're going to give you a credit card. And they're not going to charge you one dime of interest for that credit card. Man, we just think the world of you. And we're, we have you in mind when we're doing this. And we're going to give you a credit card with no interest. Let me tell you, how many of y'all know that's a lie? Man, they're not interested in you. They're interested in all the interest they can charge you, and they understand it's in their best interest to offer you a no-interest credit card up front, so you'll have to pay interest down the road. They're not concerned about you at all, beloved. They're concerned about their interests. They try to make it look another way. And even in our own lives, if we're not careful, we'll try to make it look as though we're interested in those around us. When really behind us, our mindset might be somewhere down the road. That's going to pay out for my good. Somewhere, that investment's going to pay off. Let me tell you, the agape love of God never says things like this. I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine. It never says that. 
Never. The agape love of God never ever says one hand washes the other. You know, what I do for you, it'll come back to me. It never says that. No, the agape love of God says that while you're yet my enemy, and while you're yet apart from me, and while I don't need to do anything in this world to help you out, I love you. And I'm going to help you. Not because I need something, or not because it benefits me, but because I love you, and it's in your best interest. You know why Jesus Christ came? Because it was in your best interest. You know what God needed? Absolutely nothing from me. He didn't need me at all. He's not lacking in any arena or any area. Yet he looked out across the world today, and he saw you. And he said, you know what? It's in your best interest that I do this. It's for you. You're the one that needs the help in this situation. I don't need a thing. Yet I'm going to act on your behalf. That's the agape love of an almighty God. I challenge you this week to do something. I challenge you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you an opportunity to do something for somebody that has absolutely no opportunity of falling out for your good down the road. I challenge you to ask the Lord. And I didn't say go look for something to do. I didn't say, well, the pastor told me I had to do this, so I'm going to go do this for this person. I think that would be a good thing. What I'm saying is ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes in a moment this week and say, I need you to do this for that person right now. And watch what he does. It might be a stranger. It might be someone in your family. It might be someone in this church family. But I challenge you this week to say, Lord, if you will, I'd love to have an opportunity to show the agape love of God to somebody somewhere in such a way that I understand it'll never, ever come back for my good. It has nothing to do with me. Love's never selfish. It isn't. It's always concerned about the interest of others. You say, Pastor, I'm not selfish. Listen, you, you go to a restaurant and two people order, you order the same dessert as somebody else at a restaurant this week. And you let the, let the people bring out a bigger piece of cake for the person across from you and they give you. And you pay in the same money. Man alive, when that happens to me, I don't ever think, well, thank you, Jesus, for robbing me of those calories. I don't ever, ever think that. What I think is, dear God, I'm paying the same thing they are. Listen to the Lord. Hey, why come I didn't get the same size of piece they did? And it don't have to be much bigger than yours. And you'll take note of it, beloved. You'll get your old engineering instruments out and get your micrometer on it if you need to to figure out just how much bigger it is than yours. That's the way you think and the way you operate. Ask God this week to give you a chance to display the unselfish agape love of God to someone, somewhere. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.